We are doing the same amount of work. We're giving even more effort into it because, you know, you have athletes who are muggers and with so many of the things, plus the thing which being an athlete that you have to do and you're still not getting rewarded in the way that you should get rewarded. To Jay Ashmead is referring to the gender pay gap in sports. To Jay, who goes by TJ, is a former basketball player and the CEO and founder of Nurture Sport, an AI platform that supports athletes and their careers. Being an athlete, it's a different beast. It is a different mindset. It is a different emotional game. It is a different beast. And you have to wake up with this beast every single day. And on the days that the beast inside you does not want to move and push forward, you have to make it seem like that <laughs> that beast is ready to go at any given point. So I will stand up for every single athlete coming up in the game, every single athlete who is currently in the game. That's who I'm here for. This is Finding Humanity, and I'm your host, Hazami Bermada. Through true stories of courage and purpose, we put a human face on the biggest challenges of our time. This season, we will focus on how women's excellence shapes history. In each episode, we bring you powerful voices of women sharing challenges that they had to overcome across different fields and cultures and their journey to achieving greatness. TJ was born in Jamaica. When she was around 10 years old, her family moved to the Bronx in New York. When I came to the States, I never like seen myself playing sports. Like I, it wasn't something I was thinking about doing. It was just kind of like what was expected next for a Jamaican person or a young Jamaican individual my build, my height, you know, why not run truck? You should run truck. You should play in our sports. You should do this. You should do that. That's kind of like how I fell into the sports realm. TJ followed the advice and joined her high school's track and field team. She earned the opportunity to compete at the Junior Olympics, but her heart wasn't in it. My freshman year, I'm meeting all these phenomenal girls in track and field. But then I was drawn to basketball. Like, I was like, what is this sport with an orange with an orange ball? It's not netball, because that was the sport that we typically played in the Caribbean was netball. It was basketball, and I felt more comfortable in this sport. I was not good by any means when, like, not good at all. If somebody was to pass the ball to me, I had long fingers and my hands were big. And you would think, like, okay, she's going to catch the ball so easily and she's going to score it. I was so uncoordinated with my body and my limbs, like my right arm would be over here and my left arm would be over my head or somewhere else. I was just not a coordinated person, but I enjoyed it. TJ ended up giving up track and field to focus on basketball. Surely but slowly, she improved. At 14, a coach took notice of TJ and later ended up recruiting her. But despite TJ's promising future in sports, she experienced some challenges in school. When I touched down in America, I was in regular education, but because of how thick my accent was at that time, they felt that I needed speech therapy. They said, you know what, Miss Ashmead, which was my mom, we're going to place her in special education. They did not kind of give my mom a choice. 
to place me in special education. They took advantage. I feel, I felt like my mom was taking advantage being that she was not from the States. And when I was in special education, I met one of my good friends, Marvelyn Charles. We met because I fought her and I don't know what happened. It was probably like she stole cheese doodles or money out my backpack. We're young and we fought. And <laughs> that's how we became friends because we fought. I lost, she beat my ass. And then all of a sudden, I guess she felt sorry for me because we still had to ride that one bus home from Woodlawn all the way back to South Bronx. And we just started to talk. And I just always would come back to her as someone to lean on. So I just started to hang around with her sisters and her sister's friends with who were all gang affiliated. And it just turned into me being gang affiliated, me repping this color, me being a part of this, this group of individuals, me reporting to my OGs and my, you know, my big brothers, me being a watch out in River Park Towers on the roof or, you know, or some buildings, you know, in the Bronx, just standing in there watching, making sure, you know, stuff ain't going down that's not supposed to go down. It started there. I really didn't know. I just felt like I was just hanging out with the group, hanging out with the girls, hanging out, you know, and this person asked me just, yo, keep an eye out over here, keep an eye over here. And then you start to build that trust, that loyalty. And then you start to figure out like, you are part of a group of individuals that, you know, collectively call themselves a certain gang name. TJ's involvement with the gang escalated from there. In one altercation, she was shot. She didn't consider leaving the gang, however, because she felt supported by that community. TJ eventually moved to Kansas to attend community college, but she continued to get in trouble. TJ was kicked out of school for shoplifting at a Walmart. She received an athletic scholarship at another community college in Texas, but didn't manage to keep it. Things only started to turn around for TJ after her brother, who was part of the gang, also got shot. I was like, oh shit, this is real. If I don't switch up my mindset, my mentality, and how I'm gonna project myself to my little brother or how my little brother sees me, he can follow in my footsteps and that's a problem. So that for me was the shifting point. TJ enrolled at a university in New Jersey so that she could be closer to her brother. After college, she joined the Jamaican national team she played for seven years as part of the EuroLeague. Like many other female basketball players, TJ felt like she had no choice but to compete abroad to make up for the low U.S. salaries. So everybody knows if you're a female basketball player, um, if you play, you know of any female basketball players, we always take the overseas contract. It's just, you're going to pick the overseas contract more than you'll pick the WNBA contract. And that's simply for the fact that you get paid way more overseas. I mean, it's just like 10 times more on the same contract that we would get in the WNBA. We would get 10 times more overseas. While the gap varies depending on the sport, male athletes in most sports make significantly more than female athletes. This disparity is even larger in basketball. An NBA player earns 44 times what the average women's NBA player earns. I would have to say the strongest thing for me when it came to being a, a woman in sport was creating a life outside of it because I wasn't getting paid equal pay or close to the pay of any of my male counterparts. And I have to create a life for myself and the, a life for the, the kids that I want in the future. 
One of the reasons for this pay gap is that men's sports receive vastly more media coverage, television licenses, and sponsorship deals. However, even in cases where women's sports are as popular, we have been slow to achieve equal pay. The Women's World Cup in 2015 was the most watched soccer match ever in the United States, men or women's. However, it wasn't until 2022, following a successful gender discrimination lawsuit filed by the women's team, that the U.S. Soccer Federation announced that women would get the same compensation as men. I wanted to better understand the gender pay gap in sports. I spoke to Richard Lapchik, director of the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sports at the University of Central Florida. about what are some of the barriers to actually achieving equal pay when it comes to women in sports? Well, there just isn't the revenue generated in women's sports. And I think part of it you put your finger on is, is advertising of women's sports. I think corporate America in the past year and a half or so, um, partially as a consequence of the racial reckoning, which I think has had a positive impact on, on women's opportunities as well as opportunities for people of color. But, you know, there, there needs to be more money generated. And for that to happen, money has to be invested in it, which means sport in general has to invest more in women's sport uh, for that revenue source to increase. Richard believes that to achieve equal pay in the sports industry, we must have more women in leadership positions. I think that one of the disappointing things for me has been that while the racial hiring practices have improved, they're not perfect by a long stretch but gender hiring practices have gotten worse. There are fewer women by percentage today in senior leadership positions on teams and college athletic departments in coaching situations than there were 20 years ago. And why so? Why do you think that is the case? I think there hasn't been enough pressure applied on, on the issue of gender hiring. There's been a lot of pressure applied on the issue of racial hiring and that has moved the needle. I think we need to focus that attention and protest and concern on the gender level as well. We still have a long way to go to achieve gender equality in sports, but we've come a long way, especially since the passage of Title IX. Enacted in 1972, this law prohibits discrimination in all educational programs and activities that receive federal funds, including athletics. Since then, female participation in sports has grown by about a thousand percent at the high school level and by over 600 percent at the college level. Since the passage of Title IX, the number of girls and women competing in sports has expanded enormously. We still find, as was highlighted last year in the NCAA tournament, that the allocation of resources to women's teams are significantly less than they are to men's teams. But 50 years later, we still haven't completed that. There are too many departments where the resources allocated to men are far greater than they are to women. Um, that leads to the possibility of the development of those women athletes as potential pro athletes uh, to not be as anywhere near as good as it is for men. It wasn't always easy, but TJ eventually excelled at both her athletic and educational career. In 2012, she pushed her team to become a final qualifier of the 2012 London Olympics. She received two master's degrees, one in business administration and another in sports industry management. In 2015, TJ decided to stop playing basketball professionally. 
and to become a sports broadcaster and motivational speaker. Looking back, TJ recognizes the disadvantages placed on female athletes and how that impacted her own career. One of the biggest barriers that always was very shocking to me was the lack of support that mothers got in sports. It's like if they would get pregnant and have a child, they wouldn't come back and be the same. Oh, my God. You know, it's like they tore their ACL or something. You know, they would never be the same. Um, So that was really something that scared me. I'm 32 and I, I would have started my family earlier, but I was like, well, I get a contract. You know, what would they think if I had to take time off to be with my child? So that was one of the things that prohibited me from even like starting a family with between me and my significant other. And now I'm planning to start a family because I have stopped playing the sport. I should not have felt that way. You know, I should not have felt that the sport that I'm playing will not support me having children and feel comfortable with me or feel confident that I'll be able to come back and be the same type of player or better before I left. But we have like dynamite, phenomenal ass women that have went on to have kids and come back and killed. I mean, one of them is Candace Parker, who actually just won a WNBA championship with the Chicago Sky, and she has a child. You have Serena Williams, again, another type of power woman who has showed like, I can have a child come back and be dominant. You can be a woman of sport and a mother to your kids and be powerful on both sides. You know, a lot of these female athletes, when they start to stand up and speak their voice and make it clear and make it loud that we are a force to be reckoned with, we are just as important as any male, as our male counterparts. And at some point, you're going to have to respect it in its fullest. As TJ notes, the advocacy of some celebrity athletes is to help move the needle on this issue. We are starting to see some positive changes in the industry. For example, a new collective agreement by the WNBA and the WNBA Players Association includes full pay maternity leave. For the first time in league history, the average WNBA player will earn a six-figure salary, while top players are eligible for annual compensation that could push 500,000. I asked Richard to point at other signs of progress. We see a significant number of women who are referees in various professional sports, especially the NBA and soccer. Uh, But a handful of women were referees in the NFL. We see a growing number of women who are assistant coaches on men's professional teams uh, in both the NFL, NBA, Major League Soccer, uh, Major League Baseball particularly, I think has the most. Uh, Major League Baseball just hired uh, last year a woman as the general manager of the Miami Marlins, Kim Ang, who, when she went to Major League Baseball's central office 20 years ago, Bud Selig, who was the commissioner, said she'll be the first general manager who's a woman in Major League Baseball 20 years ago. Finally happened last year. That stretched that 20 years out pretty far, but it happened. We are also starting to see changes at the educational level. The Women's Sports Foundation, which I think is the lead organization in the country and has been for almost 40 years now, you know, they acknowledge that the opportunities for girls to play sports are significant at an early age, but the danger is that they stop playing sport uh, before boys would stop playing sports because they don't see that opportunity. Now, as as college scholarships become available and, and young girls can see the possibility like young boys have for a long time, that they might be able to get a free education because of their athletic skills. 
you know, that makes the investment worthwhile. And we just have to keep the pressure on because people who look like me simply don't surrender power that easily. We have to keep putting pressure on the men who are involved in leadership positions in sports and outside of sports to get involved with with sports as well, that it's a, a such a symbolic place that people can get discouraged or get hope from, depending on the circumstances. With all those social justice issues, there is the possibility of bringing about change that is only gonna happen when there are more women and people of color in decision-making roles. You know, in every area of our society, I believe that the symbolism and the power of sport takes place in the huddle. I think it's the only place in, in America and probably in the world where it suddenly doesn't matter if you're African-American or white or Latino or Asian-American or Native American or Arab-American, doesn't matter if you're Protestant, Catholic, Buddhist, Sikh, Jew, Hindu or Muslim, young or old, gay or straight, come from a rich family or poor family, your team can't win if you don't pull together. Imagine if we take that concept of the huddle into other areas of our public life and, and private lives, what a difference that, that could possibly make. TJ is now working to ensure that athletes receive the opportunities that they deserve. In 2020, she launched Nurture Sport, an AI platform that helps high school athletes get into college and those in college to go on to play professionally. Through this venture, TJ is supporting athletes to achieve their greatest potential. What gives me the courage to share my story in the simplest form is I am the athlete that I speak of. I was that athlete that had no nurture moving forward until I got that support system that was able to nurture those mentors. That's important. For every single community, there is an advocate. And I'm just trying to be one of the most powerful and strongest advocates when it comes to the growth, the mental growth, the strong futures and legacies of athletes coming up behind me. Breaking the barriers for women in sports requires collective action. On our podcast, we aim to educate and inspire you to take action. There are many ways to do that. Here are just a few suggestions. First, wherever you live, contact your local sports teams. Tell them that you want to see more women in front office decision-making positions. Second, advocate for equal pay for women and minorities in sports organizations. Let your favorite teams know that this issue matters to you. And third, go out of your way to support your favorite athletes and their social, political, and racial justice advocacy. If you'd like to hear more empowering stories from Finding Humanity or to learn more about this episode, visit our website at findinghumanitypodcast.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Your ratings and reviews help Finding Humanity reach new audiences. So we thank you for your support. podcast, we cover pressing and at times controversial social and political issues. The views and opinions expressed are those of the interviewees and do not reflect the positions or opinions of the producers or any affiliated organizations. 
Finding Humanity is a joint production of the Humanity Lab Foundation and Human Group Media. Our co-executive producers are Camille Lorente and Hazami Bermada. Associate producers are Fernanda Oyegas and Tani Jarapaprasok. Policy and background research by Carolina Mindica and Tani Jarapaprasok. Mixing, editing, and music by Maverick Aquino. For this episode, I'd like to thank TJ Ashmead and Richard Lapchik. I'm your host, Hazami Bermada. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you again on the next episode. Mm-hmm.